Okay, okay, we're going to get to the podcast in just one minute. But imagine I gave you the opportunity to invest in Microsoft, in Apple, in Tesla at its infancy. And now you made all this profit and it would be unbelievable. You'd be so thankful and so grateful. I believe that that day is today for Torch. Because for the next 36 hours, every donation you contribute at givetorch.net is doubled by our generous matchers, and you can come in at the ground floor. Yes, last year, over 1 million people enjoyed our podcasts. You as well, I hope. And I believe we can get to 10 million this year, but we need your help. It's only one day a year that we ask. We need your contribution. We need your partnership. We love your partnership and your friendship. Please contribute at givetorch.net, givetorch.net. Every dollar is matched. I apologize for taking your time. Thank you so much in advance for your support. Enjoy this episode. You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. Welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. It's so wonderful to be here. It's so wonderful to see everyone here. So the Talmud that we studied last week which ended on Tractate Avodah Zarah 4a on top, we talked about, we gave two reasons why man is like fish. Number one is because a fish out of water will die. So too, a Jew out of Torah will die. And then we gave another, another reason because fish, if they're exposed to the sunlight, direct sun, they will they will dry up and die. And so too, there's another parable to that where we discussed last week about that. Now, we're going to give a third and I believe final comparison between the Jewish people and fish. Okay, an alternative interpretation. Just as the fish in the sea, any fish that is larger than his fellow devours him. Devours a smaller, a smaller fish. So too it is with human beings. If it not for the fear of authorities, whoever, whatever, whichever person is greater, more powerful than his fellow, he would devour his fellow. And this is the concept that was expressed. In what we learned in the Mishnah, Rabbi Hanina, Skana Kohanim Omer, Rabbi Hanina, the deputy of the Kohanim, would say, You should pray for the welfare of the government. For if not were, if it were not for the fear of government, then men would devour his fellow. Okay, so what's going on here? Basically. In fish world, if you're a bigger fish, you swallow a smaller fish and you eat them up. Goodbye. That's the way it would be with human beings if there wasn't any laws, if there wasn't any government, if there wasn't a, a, a legal system to prosecute those who commit crimes. And one of those crimes would be devouring your fellow man. Now, let me ask a question, though. Do we perhaps do that in a legal way? Do we perhaps devour someone who doesn't act the way we think they should act? We talk about them negatively, right? Lashon hara, 
when we speak negatively about our fellow, what are we doing in essence? We're we're killing them. We're devouring them in public if we if we share that information in public. And this could be devastating for people and our society as a whole. It's really not a very good thing. We have to be very, very careful about that, that we shouldn't fall into that terrible trap of being devourers of those who are smaller than us. Okay, the Gemara returns to discussing God's judgment of the idolaters. And if you remember the past two weeks, three weeks even, we talked about what's going to happen at the end of time when Mashiach comes and people will be held accountable for hating on the Jews. Right? We have a responsibility to... Our, we, as the Jewish people, we have a responsibility to uphold the laws of the Torah. The nations of the world have an accountability to uphold the seven Noachide laws. So what happens if they don't follow the teachings of the seven Noachide laws? If they do not properly give opportunity for the Jewish people to fulfill their purpose in this world, then they're going to be held accountable for that. So now the Gemara says, Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa Rami. Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa contrasted the following verses. He says, "Ksiv Shaday Mitzonuhu Sagi Choach." We do not find the Almighty to be overbearing in His strength, and it says elsewhere, "Ksiv Godol Adonenu Verav Koach." Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. So that sounds like it's a contradiction. And it's also written, Your right hand, Hashem, is glorified with strength. So the latter two verses indicate that Hashem's power is openly manifest. While the first verse says that we do not observe God's full might. So what's going on? The Gemara answers, It's not so difficult. In the former verse, we are dealing with a time of judgment. When God is judging Israel, but we're the last two verses where we say that God's strength is so strong, that's at a time of war when God is defending Israel against her enemies. In such an instance, he crushes the enemy nations with the full extent of his power. My dear friends, let's bring back the miracles of the War of 48, the War of Independence, when we were attacked the day after the UN voted to allow Israel to become a state, what happened? We were attacked. I believe it was 13 nations. And Israel, who had few soldiers, if any, and a an air force that was ill-equipped, the miracles that were visible. And then you have the Six-Day War in 1967. And then you have the, the Yom Kippur War in 1973. And then you have the, the War of the Golan Heights in 1982, Shlomo Galil. And then you have the Antifadas, and you have everything that's been going on in Israel. And now, obviously, in 2023, 24, we have the Simchas Torah War. We see miracles that are beyond comprehension. And we see that God is there with us, protecting us, defending us, and creating miracles in front of our eyes. 
where you have, I remember we had a neighbor when I grew up in New York City, in Brooklyn, New York, where we had a neighbor who lived across the street from us for a few years. He was a former IDF, uh, IAF, the Israeli Air Force pilot. And he said to us that he would, during the Six-Day War, he was shooting the machine gun of the of the uh, the jet, the fighter jet, one way, and suddenly a plane that he didn't even see on the other side, in the other area, out of his you know out of his direct uh, aim, blew up randomly, out of no place. It's like he would shoot there and that would blow up, and you shoot there and that would blow up. It was it was crazy what was going on. He said he saw open miracles. And he, this was at when he was telling us why he became religious and why he decided to start observing the Torah. He said, I was completely sec secular. He was a kibbutz uh, Jew who had really no interest and no exposure to Torah Judaism. And he wanted to just see, this is, this is, these are open miracles. I, I have to see more into what this God is. Did in his, his investigation, found that there is a God, found that he gave a Torah as a manual for living and joined those who are under the wings of, uh, the, the wings of God's Shekhinah, of God's presence and decided to become an observant Jew. Yes. All right. Look, this is this is the reality of how our existence as a people doesn't make sense. Our existence as a people, forget our military, the IDF, it doesn't make sense as a people that we can survive all of the expulsions, all of the persecutions, all of the holocausts that we've experienced. It doesn't make any sense. And yet we're standing tall, strong, you know, the greatest doctors in the world are Jewish doctors, right, doctor? Yeah? <laughs> right? The greatest scientists, the greatest inventions. They, it's unbelievable. Okay, a similar dialogue. Rabbi Chama, Rabbi Chanino Rami, Rabbi Chama, the son of Rabbi Chanino, contrasted the following verses. Ksiv, Chama ainly, I have no wrath. Uksiv, no came Hashem ubal chema. That Hashem is vengeful and full of wrath. So which one is it? So the Gemara answers, Lord Kasha. It's not difficult. Over here, Khan be Israel. In the former verse, we're dealing with God's relationship with Israel towards his people. He does not display the wrath. Khan be Kochavim. But here, in the latter verse, we are dealing with his relationship with idolaters. And God punishes them with his full wrath. An alternative explanation, Rav Hanino Bar Papa Omar, the son of Papa said, the verse is to be understood as follows. God says, although in theory I am full of wrath, at Israel I have no wrath. At Israel I have no wrath in my actual dealings with them. Shikvar Nishbati, because I have already taken oath against becoming angry with them. Mi Shalo Nishbati. If only one would grant me that I had not taken such an oath, I would be towards them like wartime marauders who ravage a vineyard, leaving naught but weeds and thorns. Meaning Hashem, if he hadn't made this oath, perhaps he would punish us too. But Hashem made this promise. Hashem made this promise that he will not 
beat his people. Okay, so now if you remember previously, in previous episodes, we talked about the excuses that the nations of the world will give to why they didn't support the Jews and why they didn't help the Jews. And we we started this whole series back when The Hague was in session, dealing with the South African government's claim against the apartheid state of Israel, right? So, obviously not, but but that that's what you do when you hate, when you're so filled with hate um, and you don't know the facts and you just go there. They're going to be held accountable. They're going to be held accountable. We said that. We say this in the UN as well. When they vote against Israel, they're voting against God. They're voting against God's people. And they will be held accountable at the end of time where God will say, what did you do for the Jewish people? You voted against them. Okay. So now the Gemara says, This reflects that which Rav Alexandri said. The verse states, in Zechariah, Zechariah. And it shall be on that day, I will seek to destroy the nations that come upon Jerusalem. The verse states, I will seek, which begs the question, from whom or what will God seek permission when he wishes to destroy the nations? Omar HaKadosh Baruch the Almighty says, Avakesh be I will seek merits in their chronicles which contain a history of their actions. If they possess merit, I will deliver them. If not, I will destroy them. So imagine every nation. By the way, I think the greatest and most kindest nation to the Jewish people in history was, is the United States of America. The United States of, the, of America is the only country that hasn't persecuted the Jews. It's the only country. Canada is part of Britain. We know that the Jews had a miserable time throughout the British Empire. Uh, Russia were persecuted. And all, th- all throughout Europe. In Egypt, obviously, we know. We're only two months away from Pesach. We know very, very well how Egypt dealt with us. All of the nations, you think of all of the nations and how the Jewish people were pursued and 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 murdered and expelled and burnt and slaughtered one after another, one country after another. The only country that has never had a system to hurt the Jews was the United States of America. Now, it doesn't mean that there weren't specific instances like in the Six-Day War where the American army betrayed Israel. That happened. I.e., the USS Liberty wasn't randomly attacked by Israel during the Six-Day War. It was espionage for the Egyptians. And America was caught. And Israel punished them. And America apologized. Uh, it, was, it, was, it, was not, it was not very good for, for America. But either way, Hashem will look at the end of time at all the nations, open up their chronicles and say, okay, what did you do? What did you do to help the Jewish people? I recently shared that we found the recordings of my grandmother and grandfather's interview by the foundation, what's his name? The uh, 
he does all the recordings of Holocaust survivors. Spielberg. Spielberg, the Spielberg Foundation, where they recorded, and they they had a, a, about a two-hour interview with each of them: my grandfather and my mother's father, and my fa and my mother's mother, my maternal grandparents. And it's it's unbelievable. You know, he asks them questions of like, where did you live? What type of home was it? A house? Was it an apartment? Did you have you know uh, a a a paved street? Did you have like what like what 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 was your life? And they start explaining and. and it's unbelievable the picture that's painted of a vibrant Jewish community. And what's left? What's left of that vibrant community? Where are all their houses? Where's all their property? Everything was taken away. Gone. They're left with nothing but the clothes on their back. If they had that. Taken to Auschwitz. Taken to Birkenau. Taken to... You name the 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 hell holes they were taken to. It's just unfathomable. Unfathomable. <laughs> my grandfather was born in Berlin. It's my paternal grandfather. Born in Berlin. Where's his house? My paternal grandfather, grandmother, lived in Lithuania. They had a beautiful home. Many children. Where's that home? Home is still standing. It's not owned by us now. What happened to all of that? plundered, taken away by our host nations. So then the come, it's going to come the end of time where God's going to say, oh, Lithuania, let's open up your books. Well, it doesn't look like you did too much good for the Jewish people. And let me, let's look at Czechoslovakia and let's look at Hungary and let's look at Poland and let's look at Germany and let's look at England and let's look at France and each one of the nations. What are they going to say for themselves? We built bridges for the Jewish people. Really? That's what you did? You didn't build bridges for the Jewish people. You built bridges, like the Talmud says earlier, to charge taxes. You built the marketplaces for your own reasons. You didn't do it for the Jewish people. Okay. The above stated statement makes it clear that while God does not seek excuses to judge the nations harshly, he does judge them rigorously following the letter of the law. The Gemara cites another remark which makes this same point. The Amar Rava. And this is consistent with what Rava said. What is the meaning of that which is written? Ach lo yod im befido lehen but let him not stretch out his hand in total fury. In their lot, his pid, which means destruction, there is relief for them. What does the Almighty tell them, Li Yisrael, to the Jewish people? When I judge Israel, I do not judge them as I judge idolaters. They have acted iniquitously and their sins, and, and for their sins, I will make Jerusalem into ruins. It's referring, right? Rather, I punish them bit by bit like the pecking of a hen. Meaning the Jewish people will get slow little 
small destruction after small destruction. That's the way we are punished. The Gemara offers a second explanation of the verse. And again, what are we punished for? We're punished for not properly observing God's ways. God says, gives us the manual in his Torah, and he tells us this is the way in which you need to conduct your life. And we're not listening. We're not involved. Uchsiv means, and it's written. Yeah. The Gemara offers a second explanation of the verse. Davar Acher, an alternative explanation. Afilu ein Yisrael osin mitzvah lifnei lifanai ki imat. Even if Israel performs before me only a small number of mitzvahs, kipitchel tarnigolos sheminakrim be'ashba, like the pecking of hens who nibble in the trash heap. Ani mitzar from lecheshbon gadol. I combine them to produce a large calculation, a large sum. God counts every sin. This is what people don't understand. Many people have asked here in the class, well, you know, why should I keep kosher? I don't keep all the mitzvahs of the Torah. It's not like, you know, I keep, uh, maybe I don't keep Shabbos or maybe I don't I don't perform mitzvahs like this. And perform, I don't put on tzitzis. I don't wear tefillin. I don't this. I don't that. Maybe it's hypocritical if I keep one mitzvah, not the other. So this is one of the important things for us to remember as Jews that, it's not all or nothing. Everything that you can do, it's like it's like someone saying, like, I don't follow all the laws, so why should I keep the speed limit? Why should I keep to the speed limit if I if I don't, you know, it, you know what? Everything that you can do is is appropriate. The Gemara digresses for a short comment regarding the last two words of the aforementioned verse, and then returns to its previous discussion. It says, "What does it mean?" Asher im befido lohen shua. What does that mean? That shua means relief, relief for them. Normally, the Hebrew word for relief is yeshua. Since the unusual term of shua is used, the verse lends itself to, an, to be expounded in the following manner. In reward of Israel's crying out, shava means a crying out, in prayer before Hashem. Ani Mashia Osan, the same word is Moshiach, which means I will deliver them from their distress. So when the Jewish people cry out to Hashem, Hashem delivers, Hashem saves them. Hashem protects us. And this is one of the things that we've been talking a lot about in our brand new prayer podcast, how the crying out to Hashem is so beloved that Hashem, because when we are when we are crying out to Hashem, Hashem is Moshia, it's the same root word. When we cry out to Hashem, Hashem uh, comes and delivers us from our distress. So the Gemara cites another source which demonstrates that God, God punishes Israel in small increments so that they may merit a portion of the world to come as Rava uh, has said above. Now, it's important to understand, if Hashem wipes us out, we have nothing left. If Hashem punishes us too harshly, we may not be able to recuperate from it. So Hashem gives us little bits, ketanagola, just like the beak of a, of, a, uh, of a rooster pecks away little bits, that's the way Hashem punishes us. This is consistent with that which Rav Abba said. My what is the meaning of that which is written? 
Dibru alike zavim. I would redeem them, but they have spoken lies about me. I said I would redeem them with their money in this world so that they will merit a portion of the world to come. Yet they have spoken lies about me. Let's understand this. See, many people are short-sighted. Many people are short-sighted in that they think that everything is about this world. Everything is about this world, but that's not true. Everything's not about this world. Everything is about our portion of the world to come. Sometimes a person can say, what, I lost all my fortune. I had so much money. Hashem hates me. Hashem is punishing me. What did I do wrong? I give charity. But a person needs to understand that we are seeing things only in two dimensions, which is this world above ground, below ground. That's the two dimensions. But we have to see the picture is far greater because there's another dimension, which is the world to come, the big picture. And sometimes Hashem needs to punish the righteous in this world so that they get their portion in the world to come. Sometimes Hashem says, the wicked, I'll give them all their reward in this world so that they get nothing in the world to come. Where is it more important for a person to invest in? This world or the world to come? Well, the world to come, that we know. But it's going to mean that we're going to have to sacrifice a little bit in this world. What does that mean? You know, someone who wants the pleasure of running the marathon is going to have to let go of some of the pleasure to get there. What's that pleasure? I want to sit back and eat my comfort food. I want to eat my potato chips sitting on the couch and watching my favorite show. Well, you're not going to be able to run the marathon like that. You know what it's going to take to run the marathon? Really hard blood, sweat, and tears. You're going to run and your legs are going to hurt you and you're going to be out of breath and you're going to be on the bayou and it's going to be so hot and you're going to be dripping sweat and it's going to be unpleasant. But if you want to run that 226.2 miles for the full marathon or 13.1 miles in the half marathon or the 5K, 5-kilometer run or the 10-kilometer run or the they have this now this this hundred mile run. They do this like extreme marathon, unbelievable. You know how much hard work that takes. You know how much determination that takes. So anything worthwhile is painful. Anything worthwhile. Do you ask anybody what is the most pleasurable thing in your life? They'll tell you my children. My children. My children is the most pleasurable thing. But what gives you the most pain? Your children. The more pain, the more gain. So, and what gives you the most worry and what gives you the most concern and what keeps you up at night? Your children. But yet your children are the greatest pride and joy. The more you invest in something, the more, the more reward you get from it. And sometimes people think, oh, I want all the reward first. No, no, no. The reward you get first is maybe not such a good thing. We see that the evildoers get rewarded in this world. For any good that they may have done, they get their full reward. And then Hashem says, in the world to come, you get nothing. While the righteous in this world is the hard work, it's the toil, because all the reward is reserved for them in the world to come. And this is another indication that we see here in this Talmud on 4a in Tractate of Odazar. The Gemara had stated that God sends tribulations to Israel so that they will be moved to prayer and thereby, thereby be saved. 
it now cites another source that makes this point. And this is the same principle that Rav Papi said in the name of Rava. What is that which is written? Vani, Yisarti, Chizakti, Zar Osam, As for me, I have afflicted them. I have strengthened their arms, but they think evil of me. Amar HaKadosh Baruch That's a verse in Hosea chapter 7, verse 15. Amar HaKadosh Baruch The Almighty said, Ani Amarti Ayasrein B'Yisurim B'Olamazeh God said, I will punish them with suffering in this world. Kidei Sheyechzeku so that their arms should be strengthened, they should receive a their healthy portion in the world to come. But they think evil of me, meaning they're going to question. And this is the question that everybody asks: Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? You know who asked this question? Moshe, and your world. Where's justice? Where's justice in your world? God says, if you continue asking, what's going to happen? I'm going to have to destroy my world completely. What type of uh, what type of uh, you know avoidance of a question is that? What do you mean? Moshe Rabbeinu asks Hashem, I want to understand your world. Hashem says, you continue asking further how justice works in my world. I'm going to have to destroy the world. Sages tell us. Because you can't understand the full picture by just a little glimpse. Like imagine you have a, a painter who's painting on top of a mountain, a magnificent, magnificent picture. Magnificent picture, a magnificent painting. Painting, painting, painting. Guy walks up, he's like, I think there's a mistake here. I think there's a mistake here. What are you doing here? You're painting the, this and that. What, what are you doing? He says, no, no, if you stand back, all the way back, you zoom out, you'll be able to see that this line needs to be here, exactly here. Got to be careful you don't walk back because you'll fall off the mountain. Right? But you have, to, you have to realize that you have to see the full picture in order to understand what's going on over here. You can't look at a little sliver of the, a little bit of the, of the canvas and say, oh, this, this, you have to look at the full picture. We come in to this world, you're born 1900, you die 2020, 120 beautiful years. You only see a little sliver of, of history. And you're trying to understand everything from the beginning of creation to the end of creation. doesn't work. Moshe, it's not going to work. If you want to see the whole picture, I'm going to have to destroy the world. Why? So that you see it from the beginning to the end. That's what it means. Sages tell us that Moshe asked to see God's face. God, show me your glory. I want to see your face. It says that Moshe was able to see the back of Hashem's head, but not the front. You can't see my face. Now, we all know that God doesn't have a face. So what are you talking about? What is God? What is, what's going on here in the conversation between Moshe and God? You know, you know, you know you know that, that that's not how it works. Moshe, God doesn't have a face. He doesn't have a back either. So what's going on here? 
sages tell us that what Moshe was trying to ask God is the face means the future. The back means the past. Moshe says, Hashem, I want to understand the future. I want to see how this plays out. God says, no, no, no. You'll never be able to see the future. You'll never be able to understand the future. But you know what you can't see? You can look back. And if you look back at history of your own life, history of the world, you see that it, it was always, Hashem always took care of everything. There was never a time where God neglected to take care of you. Oh, you just forgot about me. No, you didn't realize it was part of a picture. It was part of something much greater. You know why you had to go through that experience so that 10 years later you'll be able to help someone with that issue. You know why you lost that job so that you get a better job. You know why this happened to you so that that can happen to you. So that you'll be open to new opportunities. Whatever it is, we sometimes look microscopically at a specific incident and we're like, where was God? Where was God? That's not a healthy perspective. We have to see an entire picture. But you know what the problem is? We can never see an entire picture. Anybody who tries to say that they understand the Holocaust doesn't understand anything because we haven't seen a full picture yet. It's first as it's too close for us to understand, to comprehend, to, to wrap our mind around it. You know what it means? Six million Jews being murdered? It's unfathomable. How many? 1.2 million children? 1.5 million children. So it's, it's unfathomable. And, and they weren't criminals. They weren't terrorists. They were, they were successful people in their countries, respectively. They were good people. They were tax-paying citizens. Murdered indiscriminately. How do we understand that? We look now, 80 years later, we're trying to figure it out, to make heads and tails. How do we figure this out? How do we figure it out? We can't figure it out because we don't understand the full picture. There is a teaching that says there's a, a, a school of thought in Judaism where it says that every year of the every year of our existence is a verse in the Torah. And if you go to the year of the Holocaust, it's a warning in the Torah in Deuteronomy, meaning year number 5,700 and 5,600 and maybe 5,700 and whatever that area uh, number verse, you'll see that God warns the Jewish people of terrible, terrible calamities that will befall the Jewish people if they forsake their relationship with Hashem. It's Deuteronomy. It's, it's not, this, is not, this is not a surprise to anyone. The Torah says it. The Torah says, not only that, the Torah says that the people are going to ask, where is God? One of the things that was happening in all of these concentration camps, it was something called the God syndrome. People were saying, if there's a God, where is he? And this is what the Torah says is going to happen. The Torah says they're going to ask, where am I? From the beginning of the Torah, if you count that year, you can match it exactly. Now, again, I don't know if that's accurate. I'm not suggesting that it is. I'm not suggesting that it's a punishment for anyone. This is not for me or for us to really delve into that, that arena of, oh, we, we understand how Hashem's world works. We don't understand. Hashem tells us we don't understand. But what we do know is that Hashem talks to us. Hashem communicates to us. 
Uh, who knows if that was not the springboard that made it possible for us to have our homeland? It's only, you know, three years later, 1948, we were gifted with the land of Israel back. So who knows if that's not the greatest reward? What do we know? What do we understand? I'm not, I'm not here to predict anything. All I do know is that Hashem is in charge of the world and he does his job very, very well. He's pretty good at his job. And we're only here to get a glimpse of one little speck of history. We don't understand if we may be a reincarnation of some great prophet or prophetess or some character in the Navi, you know, in, in, in the books of our prophets or in the book of our Torah or later on in history. And we're here to correct a certain trait, to, here to correct a certain action. It's very possible, most likely. We're here to we're here to not delve into the other realms of the of, of existence of whether or not there are aliens, there are not aliens, there are you know, what do we know? What do we know? Right? We're here, Shamaim Shamaim La Shem. The heavens are for God. But God gave earth to mankind. This is for us to study, this is for us to learn, to grow from, and to hopefully connect to God on the greatest level we can. So the Gemara cites an incident pursuant to Rava's principle that God punishes Israel for its sins in small increments rather than all at once. Rabavo praised Rav Safra to the heretics, saying that he was a great man. They therefore exempted Rav Safra from taxes for 13 years. One day they found Rav Safra, Amrullah, they said to him, It is written, You alone did I love for all the families of the earth. From all the families of the earth. So who did Hashem love? Hashem loves the Jewish people. Therefore, I will hold you to account for all of your iniquities. And the heretics asked, Man de Isle Sisya, does one possess, does one possess with hostility, turn it against his beloved? Barachma of Masikle? Of course not. Ishtik Velo Amar Luhu Velomidi. Rav Safra kept quiet and did not reply at all. So they tied a kerchief around his, his throat, around his neck, and they were causing him distress. Rabavo came and found them doing this to Rav Safra. He said to them, Why are you causing him distress? Why are you, why are you causing him pain? They said to him, Did you not tell us that he was a great man. And yet, even though you claim he's such a great man, he could not tell us the interpretation of this verse. Based on your recommendation, we ex exempted him from taxes, because you said he was so great. For all of these years, we exempted him from taxes. taxes. Now we see that he's a total fraud. Amr Luhu, said to him, Amar de Amru Luhu Betanai. I said 
that he was a great scholar only with respect to Tanaic literature. Bikroi mi amrichu lechu. Did I say that he was a great person with respect to scripture? Thus, my recommendation stands, and you were correct in exempting him from the tax. Amrulei, they said to Rabavo, what is different about you that you know scripture, whereas Rab Safra does not know scripture? Amrulu, he said to them, Anan de Shachachinon. I, we who frequently visit with you, Raminon Anafshin Umainan, we take it upon ourselves to delve into the study of Scripture so that we will be able to answer your questions. Meaning, these are heretics. The heretics would ask questions that find the verse and like, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? He says, so we, because we meet with you regularly, we study these verses in Scripture so that we can answer you appropriately. But they, rabbis like Rav Safra, who do not delve into scriptures because they do not speak with you oftenly and frequently. So the heretic said to Ravor, then you tell us the interpretation of the verse. You tell us what it means. He told them, I will illustrate the matter to you with a parable. To what this matter is analogous. Like a person who has been collecting debts from two people. From one of his one of these people, he's his friend. And one of these people is his enemy. When you love someone, you collect the debt from them little by little. It's okay. Give me a hundred. Give me another hundred. It's fine until you pay it up. He says, but sono Whereas when you hate someone, you collect the entire debt in one shot. One in one in one time. So what does that mean? It's referring, explaining to them that verse that they asked Rabbi Vo about, where they said, the Jewish people who Hashem loves, Hashem takes from them, collects his debt little by little. But others who Hashem perhaps does not have that kind of love for, why? Because they didn't follow his Torah, they didn't follow his ordinances, his teachings, his laws. So Hashem punishes them in one fell swoop. Okay, more regarding divine judgment. Amr Bar Kahana. Rabavo, the son of Rav Kahana, says, My Russia. Halila. Halila means heaven forbid to you to do such a thing to bring death upon the righteous along with the wicked. Amar Avram the patriarch, our patriarch, Abraham, said to Hashem, creator of heaven and earth, the Holy One, blessed is he. Ribbon the master of the universe. Chulin hu me'asuz It would be a desecration to you, lohamis sadik in Russia, to bring death upon the righteous along with the wicked. And this is referring to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Where God says to Abraham, I'm going to destroy the entire city. And God and Abraham negotiates back, saying, What do you mean? If there are 10 if there are 50 righteous, it starts with 50. You're gonna kill the righteous with the 
with the evil, with the wicked people? God says, you know what, you're right. If they are 50, I'll save them. And then if it was 40, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, and even 10 there weren't, 10 righteous there weren't. So the Gemara asks, but does God really not punish the good together with the wicked? It's written that I will cut off the righteous and the wicked from among you. So here we see that punishment is meted out to evil together with the righteous alike. The Gemara answers, The latter verse is referring to someone who is righteous, but not completely righteous. They're righteous-ish, but they're not completely righteous. Gemara objects, But are you saying that a person who is completely righteous, they're not punished together with the wicked? Doesn't it say and be uh, and begin with my sanctuary, meaning begin with my righteous? And Rav Yosef taught, Don't read it as my sanctuary, but rather my sanctified ones. So God is going to start punishment with his sanctified ones, meaning those that God loves. So the Gemara says, what does it mean, the sanctified ones? Those who observe the entire Torah from Aleph to Taf, from beginning to end. Yet even they are punished together with the wicked. So it's a little bit of a problem here. So the Gemara answers, Since it was within their realm, within their ability, to protest the behavior of sinners, and they did not protest. This renders them righteous who aren't completely righteous. Why? If you see someone sinning and you don't say a word to them, you don't admonish them or give them a little critique, a criticism, lovingly, you don't correct them, then you're not considered to be righteous completely. There we go, bystander versus upstander. We see this with Noah. Noah was a tzaddik in his generation. Our sages say, Yesh doshem There's some who interpret this meritoriously of Noah and some not so good for Noah. Why? Noah had a generation of sinners and he just kept his mouth shut. He built his ark and he did his thing and he didn't correct anyone. Abraham, on the other hand, went out to his people and corrected their ways. He said, listen, this is idolatry. This is wrong. This is immoral. This is unfaithful. This is incorrect. And brought multitudes of people together with him. Yes. Right. So so 100%. The Talmud tells us, we learned this, I believe, in 82B, 82B, A or B, in Tractate Yavamot, which states that a person has an obligation in the Torah to give criticism. But then the, the Talmud qualifies that and says, well, just like there's a mitzvah to reprimand someone who will listen to you, there's a mitzvah not to reprimand someone who will not listen to you. And from there we learn that if you don't have a suitable relationship where someone will accept your criticism, or if you don't have the proper method or the proper ability in speech to persuade someone to make change in their life, then indeed it's going to be problematic. You can't, you can't, if you can't properly 
criticize someone, you're obligated not to. Correct, but 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 a person can't say it's not my business, it's not my problem. Yeah. Uh, for example, if you know that someone is uh, violating a commandment in the Torah, you have an obligation to bring it to their attention. Now, what's the proper way to do that? Is it to bang down their door and say, "Hey, you're violating a, a sin. You're violating the Torah." No, you have to find the right way. Have to way find a way to teach them and to love them and to nurture the relationship to a point where they're willing to hear and accept. Okay, the Gemara continues its discussion regarding divine retribution. Rav Papa Rami, Rav Papa contrasts the following verses: Viksiv, ve'el zoyem yom, and God is angered every day. And it says, says in another place, lifnei zamo miyamod, who can stand in front of God's anger? If no one can withstand God's anger. Then he becomes angry, and he becomes angry every day. How is it that mankind survives from day to day? So the Gemara answers, Lokash, it's not difficult. And we can reconcile this contrast of these two verses. Here in the second verse, we are dealing with when God is angry with an individual. No single individual can withstand God's anger if it is directed specifically at him. We see this with Korach. It took him and it took his his crowd. We see this also with Nadav and Aviu, the two sons of Aaron, the high priest, that were taken, boom. No, no one can withstand God's anger. But Kanbet Sibur here, in the first verse, we are dealing with a community. Even though God is angered every day, they can withstand his wrath because we, we already learned this multiple times. The number one thing that God wants is unity. And if we come together as a congregation, we spoke about this in our brand spanking new prayer podcast, that why do we come together as a quorum in shul, as a minion and daven together and pray together? Because that brings togetherness. It brings unity. God wants unity. That unity is what makes our prayers successful. Okay, so we are going to stop here for today. My dear friends, have a magnificent Shabbos. Thank you so much for being part of our Thinking Talmudist podcast. And to those of you online, thank you. Have a great Shabbos. We look forward to learning more together, God willing, every single day. Thank you. You've been listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby on a podcast produced by Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. We need you. We need partners. Please help sponsor an episode so we can continue to produce more quality Jewish content for our listeners around the globe. Please visit torchweb.org to donate and partner with us on this incredible endeavor.